Welcome this morning. I'm glad to be back with you. We're going to jump back into Acts. Um, just hang tight. That's all I can tell you. Just hang tight. Keep your notes with you. We're going to bounce in and out of Acts as the Lord leads. And um, So we're back in Acts chapter 13 today. I've, I've been, uh, I know you're aware of the, the crisis in Ukraine. I know you, you've watched how Russia's been invading Ukraine. How many of you have been impressed by the Ukrainians? I mean, their, their ability to push back, their courage. I mean, honestly, it should have been over with in five to ten days. And I, I think we're somewhere around day, I don't know, 15 maybe um, or something like that. But I, I've, I, you've heard me in the past say that I, I'm careful to watch the news, right? How I many of you remember me saying that? Because it will set me off, get me in a dark spot and all that good stuff. But for some reason I felt like I needed to watch this, so I've been watching carefully. Uh, my wife's checking on me to make sure I don't go off the rails. But I've just found this very, very, very interesting. I just feel like there's something the Lord wants me to see in what's going on there. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm blown away, honestly. by I'm blown away by the Ukrainian president. I'm not talking about his character. I'm not talking about his nature. I'm not falling in love with the guy. He's not my new God. Anything like that. I'm just blown away by his courage. I'm blown away by his ability to stand in the face of resistance, stand in the face of an invasion and say, you're not coming without a fight. You're not coming. I loved it when he said, I don't need a ride, I need a weapon. Come on, somebody. That put a little hair on my chest. I mean, I was like, oh, that's my boy, yeah. It's a little loud at our house sometimes. That's why we live in the country so the neighbors don't think we're weird. But I've just been impressed. And, and today I want to talk to you about resistance. I want to talk to you about resistance. The title of my message is Resistance, and in quotations on my notes, I have spiritual resistance. So as followers of Jesus, you will face opposition. I want you to hear that today because you're going to walk out of here today. I'm going to convince you today that the day you gave your life to Jesus, you qualified for full-time resistance. I'm not one of these preachers going to lie to you to just make you feel better so you can go home and take a good nap and then be lied to the whole time. And then when resistance comes, you don't even know how to stand against it. I'm going to tell you straight from the get-go, you're going to be resisted. You're going to face some opposition. The enemy's going to come at you. Amen? He's going to come with everything that he has. I know this much to be true. Many times when I step out of my comfortable space and I trust Jesus for growth in my life, I quickly face resistance. The enemy does not want you to grow. He does not want you to mature. He does not want you to get better than you used to be. He does not want you to live. He does not want you to live. He'll, keep, he'll leave you alive, but he doesn't want you to live the fullness that God has for you. He doesn't want you to live in the power that God's given you. He don't want you to exercise in the authority the Holy Ghost has given you. He don't want you to walk with confidence. He don't want you to have boldness. He wants you to cower. He wants you to whimper. He wants you to hide in the corner. But when Jesus died for me, he called me out of the corner. And he said, you don't have to go back to the corner. You don't have to whimper. You don't have to, to, to shrink down and, and become less to the enemy. You're my child. You've been adopted into my family. All of heaven and the whole family's with you. I was raised in a family where we, we lived three houses in a row, and it was, it was all cousins, and, 
And it was funny because we would fight with each other until somebody else in the neighborhood came and messed with us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I guess we were practicing. I don't know. We'd beat each other down, but boy, let somebody else come around, and we all became teammates all of a sudden, right? Yeah, you got all of heaven fighting with you today. So you might want to write this down. Resistance should be expected. It should be expected. You should expect and anticipate resistance. So I want to pick the story up in Acts chapter 13. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I have. I get to preach on things I don't normally get to preach on. <laughs> yeah. We picked the story up in 13. Paul and Barnabas now are in a local church, and they're, they're fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit says to the church, you need to send Paul and Barnabas out for a special mission. Say special mission. I want you to know that you have a special mission that only God has a design for you to accomplish. Like, like he doesn't really want to go and design somebody else or, or re, 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 uh, <laughs> God lost the word. He didn't want to have to, to redo his plans. He wants to use you to do the mission that he designed you for. He didn't want to have to redo the plans to send somebody else in your place. He didn't want to have to do that. He will, he can, and he has, but he didn't want to have to. So the church was fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit said, I want to send out Paul and Barnabas on a special mission. I have a special purpose for them. So they were sent out. So Paul and Barnabas go out with intentions to spread the gospel. I hope you wake up this mo tomorrow morning with some intentionality in you. I hope you wake up this morning with the, 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 the fire of heaven burning inside of you. I hope you wake up in the morning and you're not grumbling about having to go to work, but you're going, Lord, praise God, I'm going to work today and I'm going to be the gospel. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to spread the gospel. I'm not going to complain with everybody else. I'm going to give them something to hope for. I hope you wake up with some intentions in the morning. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 6. After they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you, I love this story. This dude's name is Bar-Jesus. He could fit in around here. He'd be from the Vidrine area. No offense to anybody, but he would be from that area, Bar-Jesus. Yeah, man, that's Bar-Jesus. You see how it fits? Okay. He attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. I thought it was pretty cool that God put that the governor was intelligent. Next time we need to... Uh, <laughs> Y'all saw that stop sign? <laughs> I almost ran it. <laughs> Lord, help me. Maybe I should have prayed before I preached. <laughs> Who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit with him. He wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in the Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil. 
I'd have had a few other anyway. He said, you son of the devil. I done lost my spot. I got to quit cutting up. You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Verse 12, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and Barnabas sent out by the Holy Ghost. The church was fasting and praying. Everybody did everything right to to make sure they had the assignment right. Sent them out, prayed over them, laid hands on them, probably anointed them, and sent them out. And as soon as they go out, they face some resistance. Well, there's a whole lot to learn in this story. And that's what I hope we do today. The first thing I want you to notice, just off the cuff, just kind of real quickly, just for uh, technical purposes, this is the first time that Saul is called Paul. By the way, his name, they just use his, his other name. Come on. The governor sends out, he sends for Paul and Barnabas to come and teach him the word of God. I love the fact that the Bible says the governor was intelligent and he asked for somebody to come teach him the word of God. Do I have to say it? Y'all know what I'm going to say? You've been here long enough. Intelligent people want to learn the word of God. And then those intelligent people become wise. And faith-filled. And are ready to conquer hell with a water pistol. Come on, somebody. There's a guy named Bar-Jesus. Let me unpack this for you for a minute because it's a pretty cool story. His name's Bar-Jesus, and it it literally means son of Jesus. That's what Bar-Jesus means, son of Jesus, but he's a sorcerer. It doesn't make sense. His name says that he's the son of Jesus, but his actions say that he's the son of the devil. And so it's interesting because most theologians believe that, that the reason Luke said his other name, Elimus, was because Luke couldn't stand to call him Bar-Jesus. Instead, he called him Elimus. You want to know what Elimus means? Son of Satan. So Luke said, I'm going to get this right from the get-go. This is his name. This is how people know him. But this is his Greek name, and this is who he really is. So Elimus was a sorcerer. He was also one of the governor's attendants. I personally believe that Elimus was demon-possessed. We're going to get into that a little bit, so prepare yourself. We're going to talk about demons today. You come to church ready to talk about demons? I believe he was demon-possessed. So, which raises a question, how do you know if something's demonic or not? Because I know people that call everything a demon. Like, humidity is a demon. I personally believe mosquitoes are demons. I probably need to be corrected on that, but I just, you know. 
But some people call everything a demon. Not everything's a demon, but I believe there's more demonic activity around us than we give credit to. How do you know if something is demonic? Well, from this scripture, you can take that if, if something is demonic, it is trying to stop the gospel from advancing. So it can be a direct resistance or it can be a tactic of distraction. Anything or anyone who is trying to prevent the gospel from advancing has a demonic influence in their life. They're either demon-possessed or they're oppressed by a demon. Now, I personally believe that a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. But I believe a Christian can be oppressed by a demon. Because a demon can't possess what God already possesses. But he can oppress it. He can mess it up. He can restrain it. He can restrict it. He can frustrate it. He can distract it. Anything that's, that's trying to stop the gospel from advancing is demonic. Let me, let, me, let me show you how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. From the message translation, I just like the way he used the words in the message translation. I checked it with the other translations. It's all legit. It, it says this, Jesus speaking, he says, this is war and there is no neutral ground. If you are not on my side, you are the enemy. If you're not helping, then you're making things worse. Come on, Jesus, preach. Preach, Jesus, preach. This is a war. This is not the playground in elementary school. This is not the fluffy life that you thought you were getting into. When you gave your life to Jesus, you joined his forces, and you got in the war. It wasn't nearly enough amens for that one. I see what we're working with today. Jesus says this is a war, and there is no neutral ground. Well, that's a big deal because some of us think there is a neutral ground. Well, I don't have to be all that. I can just be a little bit of that but still some of this, and I can just kind of hang out somewhere in the middle, and that way I don't upset this group of people, and then that way I don't upset this group of people. But when I die, I know at least I'll get to heaven, but I don't want to upset anybody, and I don't really want to choose sides. So I'm just going to stay right here in this comfortable place where I can just kind of be this on Sunday and during life group, and then I can be like this the rest of the week. That's neutral ground. In fact, I'll tell you, that's what Jesus said he was going to vomit out of his mouth in the book of Revelations. He, listen to what he said. I would rather you be smoking hot from me or cold as hell. But I don't want you to be lukewarm. Boy, did you understand what I just said? Do you understand what Jesus just said? He said, I would rather you be an unbeliever or a full-blown believer, but I don't want you to be a pretend believer because that makes my stomach upset. That makes me want to puke something out of my mouth. Jesus would rather you not believe at all than to pretend to believe. No neutral ground. The Lord told me we got some folks in here living in the neutral ground. I ain't going to call your names, but I saw you. I'm joking, I didn't see you. <laughs> I just thought I got <laughs> I do see things sometimes. And I hadn't seen the doctor about that. 
This is a war. There's no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. Now, don't take that to a place that it doesn't need to be. That's not a, that's not a scary statement. Because the Bible is constantly telling us that until we give our lives to Jesus, we're his enemy. But when we give our lives to Jesus, we become his friend. That's what he's saying. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. My name is Jamie. I was the enemy at one time. But I swapped sides. And I'm staying on his side. Because I've been on that side, it stinks. I've played in the middle, ain't no good. And now I'm on his side, and I ain't moving. Come on, I'm on Jesus' side. I'm on his team. Why? Because I read the back of the book, and we win. I like to win. Anybody? Anybody like to lose? And then he says, if you're not helping, <laughs> you're hurting. Come on, Jesus. Jesus makes it crystal clear for us. There's no neutral ground. I'm telling you right now, God's calling us out of a neutral place. He's calling us into the war that's in front of us. And we're going to face some resistance. Some of you are going to have to choose today whose side you're going to be on. If you don't want to be on Jesus' side... You might ought to go find another church. Because this ain't the church where we're going to play in the neutral ground. So, so if you stay because you just think you need to stay, but you don't really want to be on Jesus' side, you might ought to leave because you're going to live frustrated. Because I ain't backing down. I ain't backing down. The Lord's leading us right now, and I'm not backing down. I'm going where the Lord wants to go. And if it looks different than the rest of the world, if it looks different than the rest of Christianity, as long as it's grounded and rooted in his word and it's led by his powerful Holy Spirit, that's where I want to go. I want to go where he's going. I don't want to go do my own thing and fight my own war and do this thing on the side. I want to do what Jesus is doing. Oh, there's a heaviness right now. So we have to be aware of what is around us. There's no more time for ignorance. We need to be aware, but, but listen to me carefully, aware but not afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Aware but not afraid, prepared but not ignorant. So basically, here it is, if you're not for Jesus, then you're against Jesus. It's super simple. And how do you know if something's demonic or not? Is it for Jesus or is it not for Jesus? You know where I was at on Tuesday? <laughs> I wasn't on 2nd Street. I wasn't in the country on a horse with a bunch of weird dressed people chasing some poor chicken, celebrating something that was not Jesus, is not Jesus, will never be Jesus. You know where I was on Halloween? I wasn't, I wasn't banging on somebody's door talking about give me some candy, trick or treat. I wasn't doing that. Why? Because that ain't Jesus. 
See, it's super simple. I don't know why we even have to talk about it anymore. It's like if it ain't for Jesus, then it's against Jesus. We don't need to justify it. We don't need to let the world manipulate our thinking. It's time for you to stand. It's time for you to choose whose side you're going to be on. Are you going to keep playing with the world or are you going to go and conquer the world? What are you going to do? It's time to grow the heck up. Or just get the heck out. <laughs> so watch this. Satan will continue to make his move against you until the day Jesus moves him straight to hell. So Satan ain't going to quit. He's going to keep coming after you. Look at me in the eyes this morning. Look me in the eyes. Look me in the eyes. Everybody look at me real quick. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. There's more resistance coming. There's more coming. Get ready. It's coming. Tweet that. <laughs> Pastor Jamie's preaching such a sweet message today. <laughs> so Satan's going to continue. Let me give you four ways that I think we fight against the resistance. Number one is we need to expect the resistance. <clears throat> Some of you are getting taken by surprise too often. Some of you believe you're too good to face opposition. <clears throat> Some of you believe the lie that when you gave your life to Jesus, everything was going to be perfect. And now that it's not perfect, you're, you're in a, a Jesus crisis because you're not sure if Jesus is truthful or not. But Jesus never said everything would be perfect. He just said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you when it's imperfect. So question, how do you react to resistance? I want you to answer this personally. How do you react to resistance? How do you react when everything falls apart? How do you react when something's trying to prevent you? How do you react when something stands up against you in your face trying to keep you from doing what God's called you to do? How do you react? How do you react? Because how you react says a whole lot about who you are. Do you expect it or are you surprised by it? You see, when we live unaware of the enemy's schemes, we set ourselves up for disaster. So when the enemy makes his move, and he's going to make his move until Jesus moves him out, when he makes his move, if you're not aware, you fall apart like it's not supposed to be happening. So if you react in a very unhealthy, immature way, when resistance comes against you, you got a lot of work to do. That means your trust ain't in Jesus. You don't believe that he's with you in the middle of this, and you don't even believe that you can get over it because it knocked you back instead of getting you going. And now you're face down on the ground whining like a baby, posting junk you don't need to post, calling everybody and their mama to complain about this resistance that popped up in front of you when Jesus was with you the whole time the resistance was there. And all he wanted to do was just go with you. He just wanted to stand against it. He didn't want us to bow down to it. He didn't want us to fall apart with it. He said, I'm going to be with you in the resistance. Like, let's go. Let's see how we get through resistance. Let's see how we get through the opposition. Let me show you my power. Let me show you how to push through this. 
But he can't show you if you keep quitting. He can't show you if you don't show up. If you're running and hiding, he can't show you. You don't learn nothing in the cave. So when, so when resistance comes and we fall apart, watch this, your faith gets shipwrecked and you get thrown off course. And it's a frustrating cycle. Not only for you, but for the people that love you. Because they see you getting knocked down by the same level of resistance that knocked you down last time. Spurgeon said this. He said, where there is likely going to be great success, there is likely going to be great opposition. How many of you... Used to fly kites. Come on, show of hands. How many of you like you like you love your kite? Come on, I'm gonna bring you back to your childhood. You loved your. How many of you could fly your kite to the end of the string? Yeah. One time we didn't tie the end of the string. wasn't tied. We were like, I got the record. <laughs> I had the privilege of living across the street from an elementary school that had a big open field and. It, this is not the best environment to fly a kite in, but we do occasionally get some good winds to fly a kite in. And the cool thing about a kite is that you need some resistance. You need some wind. If, if you're trying to fly a kite on a calm day, you're just actually, you just soon put the kite down and go run. Because you're just burning calories. If that's what you, you don't, you don't even, you don't even want to burn calories. You're just trying to fly a kite and there ain't no resistance and you're just burning calories. We, we would, when the wind would pick up, my cousins and I would run and grab our kites and we would run out to the field. And you know how it is, you give it about five or six feet and you take off running with it, right? <laughs> and you're trying to get it to catch the wind, right? You're trying to get it to get some lift. And so, so if the kite's adjusted, right, the nose of the kite is always looking up, right? Because the kite that's looking down hits the ground. But the kite that's looking up gets some lift, so you take off running till the wind catches it, right? Till it gets enough resistance to start to lift. And then what do you do? You give it some slack, right? And then you give it some slack. Then you kind of slow your jog down. You give it some slack. And now the wind's taking it. The resistance is taking it. And then you give it more slack and you give it more slack. And then you pay attention to your string. And you pay attention to your string and you give it some more slack. And then, boy, when you get you a good wind, like I was, I was light when I was a kid. So, like, I had to brace myself. Today I could probably, fought, you know, Tie on to a 747. But but you would let that thing out and then you would just feel the force of it, right? But boy, that kite was up there just doing what a kite was designed to do, right? It's just like, just flying to the, the tail feathers, like, doing all this. And you're like, oh, bro, look at mine, I'm flying! And you're up there and you just, Wah! and all the other cousins that couldn't get their kite in the air, they're going, I wish my kite would fly. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Is that how y'all flew kites? No? Y'all should have been in my house. It was exciting. You see, the kite don't fly without the resistance. It gets no lift without the resistance. If, if the kite ain't adjusted right, it's not going to fly. A kite with its head to the ground crashes often 
But a kite that's looking up gets lift. Church, it's time to pick your head up. It's time to look up. The Bible says to keep your mind on things above. Uh, <laughs> keep your mind, keep your thoughts on things above, not the things that are right in front of you. Yeah, the resistance is coming. So what? Everybody faces resistance. What are you going to do with the resistance is the real question. Are you going to keep your head up, keep your thoughts up, keep your mind up, so that way when the resistance comes you get some lift? Are you going to keep your head down and think about all the negative things, all the things you've done wrong and stay beat down so when the resistance comes you crash? What if the resistance in your life is there to give you lift and not cause you to crash? Come on, are you with me? What if it's there to give you lift and not to cause you to crash? You need to change your mind about the opposition that's in front of you. God will use opposition in your life. He will use the resistance in your life. If he wasn't, then why in the world would Paul face resistance right out the box? Unless God had a plan for his resistance. It's time for some of us to get some lift. What is lift? Let me talk about that for a minute. Let me give you a couple of practical things because I just don't want to sound spiritual and not give you anything practical. What is lift? Lift is growth in your life. What if the resistance in your life was to bring growth? What kind of growth? Because there's different kinds of growth, right? Like I could easily grow my waist. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I can't grow hair, but I can grow waist. <laughs> growth is spiritual growth, emotional growth, mental growth, relational growth. Some of you, a bunch of you need to mature. You need to grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and relationally. Some of you are, are, are way more immature than you should be. And it's time to grow up. It's not time to fake like you're grown up. It's time to actually grow up. And when resistance comes, you need to grow the heck up. How do you do that? Keep your head up. Look to the heavens. Ask God, why is this resistance in front of me? What is your purpose for this resistance? I'm not complaining about it. I'm not posting about it. I'm going to use it to get me some lift. But I'm going to keep my eyes with it. I'm going to grow up. Lift is growth in your life. Lift is discovering how strong a spirit-filled believer can be. How strong is a spirit-filled believer? How strong? Do you even know? You never know how strong a horse is until you strap something to the horse that causes him to use all of his strength to move it. Some of you are running from things you have no business running from, and you'll never know how strong you can be as a spirit-filled believer because you won't stay and fight the resistance. You're quitting before you're supposed to quit. Lift convinces us that God can be trusted. Lift gives us confidence in the promises of God. You'll never know that he is who he says he is until you get into a situation where he gets to be who he is. Honestly, some of you aren't even giving God a chance. Like he's ready to flex some muscle and you're bailing out. I quit. 
I'm out of this relationship. I'm packing my bags. I'm quitting my job. I'm quitting the church. I'm quitting people. But you ain't quitting social media because you're telling everybody about it on social media. I just had to slide that in there. Come on, somebody. You know, when you get a good so anyway. You're not even giving God a chance. How do you know his promises are true until you give him a chance to fulfill his promises? It convinces us that he can be trusted, and it causes us to progress in our faith. How do you grow? You grow by resistance. I tried to get bowed up on the sofa. It didn't work. There was no resistance. The only resistance was on the spring of the sofa. (laughs) The springs were growing and I wasn't. (laughs) No resistance, no progress. Are you with me? Number one, you need to expect resistance. Number two, you need to stay filled. And don't check me out. Don't check out on me right now. You need to stay filled. You need to stay filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 18. I love, love, love these verses. Watch what Paul says. So be careful. Be careful. Look at your neighbor and say, be careful. Be careful how you live. Y'all better get ready. This is good stuff. Be careful how you live. Don't live like what? But live like those who are what? Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Verse 18, don't be drunk with wine. (laughs) And so help me if you ask me, well, where's the point of getting drunk? How do you know when you're drunk? You ain't even ready for this. Don't be drunk with wine, but because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul is telling us that being filled with the Holy Spirit is better than anything else. It should be our priority. Don't go shop for wine. Spend time with the Holy Ghost and get filled. It's much better. What you think a glass of wine can do for you, the Holy Spirit can do better. But you'll never know till you let him do better for you. In the Greek, this literally means this. Watch this. It means to be continually filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. To be continually filled with the fullness of of the Holy Spirit. I love to practice my message on people sometimes before I get here on Sunday. So I was walking through the office when I was writing on Wednesday and Lisa was there. I said, Lisa, can we live full of the Holy Spirit? And she said, hmm, I guess we could. I said, well, why don't we? She said, because we leak. (laughs) I said, you're right. We leak. We all leak. How do we leak? Like, where's the holes? Where's the holes? Come on, if your tire keeps going flat, you might need to find out where the hole is and do something about it. Otherwise, you're going to live frustrated. That was good. (laughs) Like, stop denying that the tire's going flat. Oh, it's not flat. It's just low. Shut up. You got something in your tire. Go pull it out. Plug the hole and live full. Come on, somebody. Paul tells us how we leak. Look at what he says. Be careful how you live. 
got to be careful. You got to be careful how you live, who you hang out with, what you're spending time with, what you're letting into your mind, what you're letting into your life, what you're letting into your house. You got to be careful how you live. You can't be blase about the whole thing and just think, oh, everything's going to be fine. You got to be careful. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. I'm going to tell you, at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, you ought to study that. Write that in your notes. You need to go study the end of Ephesians 4 and, and, and the, the beginning of Ephesians 5 because Paul's telling you how to live. And I, I, pro- I promise you this. Watch this. This is just so simple, and I don't even, I'm, I'm, I'm not even glad I have to say it. But, but if you will study the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, you'll never go to another Halloween and you'll never go to another Mardi Gras. And you'll stop picking eggs on Easter and you'll stop talking about the fat man in the red clothes and the white beard. That's bottom level stuff. You follow me? Bottom level. The lowest form of immaturity. Just go study Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 and I guarantee you, you'll stop doing what the fools is doing. Your pastor just called me a fool? No, I didn't. I did not call you a fool. I just said what Paul said, stop hanging out with fools. <laughs> Some of you knew that was coming. Y'all said, he's going to say something about Mardi Gras. I guarantee you. I don't think the dang pastor. I wish he'd just go to Mardi Gras and have a good time and let his hair down. We ain't got no hair to let down. Why is he so hard against, against, against Halloween? Why is he, why is he, I, I asked the same question. It used to not bother me. I used to think, oh, just go do what you want to do or whatever. Honestly, I woke up two days this week grieving. Like woke up, my heart was heavy. I couldn't sleep. Woke up two hours before my alarm clock. You know that's Jesus. And the second day I walked through the kitchen and I'm like, babe, Man, I'm just like, I messed up. She's like, and we hadn't even had coffee yet. And she's like, well, what's wrong? I said, man, I just, I got, I got Mardi Gras in my heart. I got, I got some of our people are going to Mardi Gras and they're, and they're doing all this. Stuff. Why does this bother me now? Like it used to not bother me. And she goes, I think you're grieving. I said, oh, that's good. I need to go talk to Jesus about that. And Jesus said, go to Ephesians 4. And then get the rest of Ephesians 5. And you'll understand what I'm saying. You can go to Ephesians 4. And you can go to Ephesians 5. And if you're not careful, the enemy will convince you you're about to get kicked out of heaven. That Pastor Jamie's trying to run you out of the church. If I want to run you out of the church, I can do that another way. I'm trying to get you free. I'm trying to grow you up. I'm trying to get you to mature. I'm trying to see, I'm trying to get you some lift. He told me to go to Matthew chapter 13. So I went to Matthew chapter 13, and it's the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And Jesus said, Don't pluck the weeds. I'm like, all right, I can't run nobody out. Okay. So I can't pluck the weeds. Are y'all uncomfortable with this? Oh, shoot, I'm gonna go even harder than I was being nice. I, was, I didn't want to offend nobody. I'm just Jesus said, don't pick the weeds before the harvest because you'll mess up the wheat. So in other words, he's saying, let them, let them, 
Let them all just hang out together. Give them the same amount of nutrition. Give them water. Give them supplements. Give them everything they need. Uh, maybe the weed turns into wheat sooner or later. I don't know, but I'm just like, whatever, Lord. Okay, I'm not going to run nobody out. But he said, but don't, don't ever stop telling the truth. Okay. So question, can a believer live filled all the time? I thought that's a good question. Because when I thought of it, I was like, I said to myself, self, that's a good question. Can a believer live filled all the time? How many of you know what it's like to be filled and then not be filled? I, the best way I can describe it is, it's like when I'm filled, I'm spiritually awake. But when I'm not filled, I'm spiritually dozing off. Which simply means this, when I'm awake, I notice what's going on around me, in me, and all those things. But when I'm dozing off, I, I'm probably about to run off the road. I don't, I don't notice much. I'm not aware of much. I'm kind of sleepy, right? And so I've been on this mission for the last two years to live filled. I, I call it living under an open heaven. I, and I'm currently, I just want you to show, I'm not boasting, I I'm just, I'm just want you to understand that it's possible. I'm, I'm, I'm strategically listening to the Holy Spirit lead me through things like Ephesians 4 and 5 that says you can live a spirit-filled life all the time, but there's going to be some things you need to cut out of your life. You need to plug some holes. So I'm on a mission to live filled. In order to live filled, I need to stay aware. I need to stay aware of when I am filled, what's going on around me, what am I doing, what am I involved in, what's the situation, all these things. But when I'm, I'm feeling unfilled or half asleep, I need to pay attention to that too. And so over the last two years, the Lord's been dealing with me about some stuff. Some simple, very simple things that I just need to get out of my life. They're distractions. They're resistance that's unnecessary. It's almost self-inflicted resistance. Is this making sense? <clears throat> so I want to live filled. So how do I stay filled? Let me give you five practical ways to stay filled. Number one, you need to ask God to fill you often. Duh. Just ask him to fill. You fill your car off once a week? Twice? Three times a late night. Come on, I pray to God you don't have to fill it up twice. Ask God to fill you often. If you think you're empty, you're at least running low. Don't wait for the spitting and the sputtering and looking for a safe place to land. Like if the, if the light comes on, <laughs> get filled up. <laughs> How do I get? Jesus, I need you to fill me fresh and new. And, and, and you got to create an environment for you. just got to push some things aside. Shut the noise out. Say, Jesus, I'm, I'm empty right now. Would you fill me? Would you? Sometimes you need to go to a spirit-filled friend and say, would you lay hands on me and pray for me? You need to ask to be filled often. Number two, you need to be self-aware. You need to know when you're running low and when you're not. You need to know what's going on around you when you're running low or when you're running high. Live self-aware. Number three, live holy. Live holy. Do you know that holy is healthy? <laughs> Unpack that. You ought to write that down and just chew on that this week. Holy is healthy. 
Live holy. Nobody talks about that anymore. Live holy. Set apart for God. I'm his temple. His spirit dwells inside of me. Come on. Clean it up. Sweep it out. Live holy because it's healthy. My God. Number four, make space for the filling to happen. Some of you, your schedules are so tight, your life is so ordered that, that, that the Holy Ghost can't even get in. There's no room for him. You're sitting there, well, whoa, where's God? Like, you didn't make room for him. Like, you scheduled him out. Like, make some room. Invite him in. He's a gentleman. The Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He's going to come when he's invited. He's not going to kick the door in and, invite, and force himself on you. So if you're not making room for him, then he's not showing up. Come on, can you hear that today? God didn't give us the Holy Spirit just to help us to be successful in business. He wants us to live filled. Make some room for him. Make some room in your schedule. Make some room in your life. Give him permission to come in and take over. About the last... Three or four months now, our, our pre-service prayer time with the worship team has changed. I'm like, Lord, we're just making room for you. We lay everything down, our agenda. We lay down our perspective. We lay down our, our plans. I give you my message. I give you all this, my talents, my abilities. We're making room for you because it don't pay to come to church if Jesus ain't here. Right? Like, I want to go to church where Jesus is. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be in the church where Jesus is. Come on, somebody. So you got to make some room for him. You got to give the worship team a little more time. You got to give the moment a little bit more time. If you're sitting in church watching your clock, you came to church for the wrong reason. How many amens can I get on that? All right, I'm going two hours, baby. I'll set you up and you walk right into it. Let's go. Point number. like It don't take much for him. Some of y'all sitting there, y'all better quit saying all them amens, you know how he is. <laughs> Make space. Watch number five. Stay active in your obedience to God. You want to stay filled? Stay in the fight. You want to stay filled? Keep in motion with God. When he tells you to move, get your butt out the seat and Move. Like, go do what he says you to do. Because when you go and do what he tells you to do, you discover why he told you to go do it. And when you discover why he told you to go do it, you want to do it again. Come on, if you can get addicted to drugs and alcohol and ice cream, you can get addicted to doing what God says. Amen? Stay active in your obedience. I believe if you stay in the fight, you stay anointed. There's no need to be anointed if you're not in the fight. <laughs> Come on. Some of you are like, well, what's anointing? What's that anointing thing? That's the oil of the Holy Spirit dripping down off your head, and you're able to do supernatural things because you, you bypass your natural abilities, and God put his super on your natural, and now you're doing things that you never thought you could do, saying things you never thought you could say. You're smarter than you thought you were. You, you say things, and you go, God, that was good. Where'd that come from? The anointing. I'm not a great preacher. I'm just anointed. 
Honestly, if you came and wrote my message with me on Wednesdays, you'd be like, God, bro, this is going to bomb. Like, can I write that for you? Stay active. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those guys that likes to be on the field. I want to play the game. I don't want to warm the bench. The bench just gets to see what happens. I want to be in the happening. Come on, somebody. So number one, you need to expect resistance. Number two, you need to stay filled. Notice when you're empty and fill back up and then get better at it. Amen. Number three, you need to fight with confidence. I know some of you don't like to fight. Some of you are, are non-controversial. When, when tensions get high, you, you find a hiding place. <clears throat> but you need to understand that even though you're that way, and there's nothing wrong with being that way, even though you're that way, it doesn't mean that you can't stand in the face of the enemy and resist him. Because the Holy Ghost gave you a backbone. You're not standing in your own strength and your own ability. You're standing in his supernatural ability that empowers you to do more than you ever thought you could do. So just because you're non-confrontational and you don't like conflict doesn't mean that you have an excuse not to fight now. Can I get an A to the men? No excuse. What did Jesus say? This is war. Fight with confidence. Look at, at, at verse 9b and 10a from Acts 13. Look at what, what Paul did. The Bible says that Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says he looked the sorcerer in the eye, period. Then he said some things. Paul didn't back down. Paul didn't stop and complain. He didn't stop and get himself a boudet break. He, he, he stood in the face of the enemy and he looked him in the eyes and then he said something. This is powerful. And you got to get this today because some of you, as soon as a demonic presence shows up, you're like the little dog that runs with his tail between his legs. Go, 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 go. And you're going off and God's going, where are you going? Like I set this up so you can whoop this dude's tail and then the... Come back. <laughs> Paul looked the sorcerer in the eye. This is significant. He sets his eye on him, watch this, to face him down. He, he was showing holy boldness to the sorcerer. I believe there's supernatural things that we do. There's spiritual things that we do to stand against the enemy, but I also believe there's natural things we do to stand against the enemy. Come on. And for some of you, instead of falling apart, you need to step forward. I don't care if your knees are shaking. Just step forward. Do something naturally. No, no, no. This ain't happening today. I had enough of this. I'm tired of running from this. You've been messing me up too long. You've been playing with my mind too long. You've been jacking up my life too long. I had enough today. I'm standing. I'm not running. You thought I was going to run, but I'm not running today. My feet are planted. I got, I got so-and-so and so-and-so playing for me. I'm not, I'm not running. I'm standing. Sometimes you need to do something in the natural. You need to stand. You don't need to complain. You don't need to wonder why you're going through this. You just need to stand and get through it. And when you get through it, you'll understand why. 
The wise on the other side. <laughs> the wise on the other side, the enemy. You'll never know the why till you kick the enemy down and go get your why. So Paul sets his eyes on him to, to face him down. He's, he's showing holy boldness. He's, he's doing something naturally that's saying, I'm not backing down from you. You don't own me. Come on, somebody. You don't own me. He was looking into his eyes to see his heart. He was looking through and through him. Most theologians believe that Paul was piercing into his eyes to see if there was even a hint of remorse for his actions. To see if there was a, just a hint of, of remorse so that, so that he could bypass the judgment that was about to hit him and find repentance and grace and mercy. But evidently there was no remorse found in Elimus' eyes because judgment came. But Paul was piercing into his eyes. This is so important. It was an opportunity for the sorcerer to repent. There's plenty of other cases in Acts where where the, the demon-possessed person had a chance to repent or be delivered. But this was not one of those times. And, and what we see is a, 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 a heavenly judgment gets passed on this guy, and he's blind crawling on the ground. By the power of the Holy Ghost, he stood in the face of his opposition, peered into his eyes, and then spoke what he was led to speak. In that moment, Paul calls him exactly what he is, a son of Satan, an agent of hell. Now, now you, can, you can check out on me if you want to, but I'm telling you right now, you're in a spiritual war. If you're not fighting, you're losing. It's as simple as that. If you're not fighting, you're losing. Or you're in the neutral ground. And the enemy loves for you to be in the neutral ground. Because not only are you hurting yourself and your generations coming after you, but you're hurting all the people that you have influence with. Because all they're seeing in your life is a watered-down version of Jesus, not the real Jesus. So how do we fight? I'm going to give you some things here real quick, five, five things real quick that are, they come from deliverance ministry type of stuff. Um, I, I unfortunately did not have these things when I encountered some of the first demonic resistance in my life as a young believer. I didn't have these things. I just, I just went at it. I, I knew how to fight physically, but, uh, but somehow or another the Holy Spirit helped me. So I'm going to give you something that I didn't even have. But I just want you to know when it comes to deliverance and, and these kinds of things, it's a massive teaching. We could do a, a several-month series on deliverance. And, and, but I'm, I can't give you all that today, but I can give you five things that will help. Five things that will help, but you got to know that you're going to learn these things and understand these things as you exercise them. And don't worry, God's not going to put you in front of something you can't handle. All right, number one, how do we fight? You need to exercise some compassion. I'm not mad at the person that's oppressed or possessed. It's a spiritual war. I'm not mad at them. I'm not trying to embarrass them. I'm not trying to shame them. Exercise compassion. You remember Jesus exercised compassion on you. Number two, remain calm. If you have real authority, there's no need to shout. Remain calm. Don't get all out of your, <laughs> don't get all out of whack. It's just a demon. 
It's just a spirit. You have authority over it. As a believer, the spirit field, you have authority over it. Don't back down. Stand in front of it. Exercise compassion. Remain calm. Number three, look it in the eye. If it's a person, look them in the eye. I mean that, like physically, look them in the eye. You'll see things in the eyes that you'll never see anywhere else. Look them in the eye. You've heard this, that the, the eyes are the window to the soul, right? Look them in the eye. You can see something in the eye. It's believed that when Paul looked the, looked the limus in the eyes, he was using spiritual discernment while looking in his eyes. In other words, the Holy Spirit was showing him what was inside through his eyes. So look them in the eye. Look them in the eye and be, be prepared, be ready, be discerning, understand, ask the Lord to show you. Look them in the eye. Number four, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. How do I do that? You need to listen for the next steps to take. It may be a question. It may be a comment. It may be a prayer. It may even be a pause. I've been in situations where the Holy Spirit has said, just hang tight. Don't move. And it gets awkward. I'm good with awkward. <laughs> I am. Like, I love it now. Like, when I, I'll mess with people. I'll just get quiet and just look in their eyes. I'll adjust myself and just look. Remember, the Holy Spirit's doing the work. Listen for the next steps to take. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do next. It may be a question, maybe a comment, maybe a prayer, maybe a pause, maybe something else. The Holy Spirit will show you each step to take next. If you'll just listen, if you'll just follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and you need to trust that he's leading you through this. You're getting more than I had. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. You're getting... <laughs> I was like, man, I wish I had just these five points when I was. <laughs> anyway. And then once deliverance happens or once a breaking happens, you need to pray. Typically, once deliverance happens or there's a breaking in that person, that person should sense peace like they didn't walk in with. There should be an environment of peace. One of the greatest indicators of deliverance is peace. You can feel peace like a river. You can feel peace like a rushing wind. At times, I felt peace come into my house like all the windows were open and a hurricane was on the door. I mean, I felt it just like that literally. Peace is the indication that something's just broken or somebody's just been delivered. And then you want to lead them in a prayer of renouncement. When, it, when the Holy Spirit identifies what that thing is, you need to lead them into renouncing. That means I'm standing against that. Lead them in a prayer that says, you have no more room in my life. Lead them in a prayer that says, you don't belong here anymore. Lead them in a prayer that says, I'm freed from this, right? And then lead them into a prayer that says, God, fill me again. I'll give you an example of a person I recently sat with in my office. I invited them in just to check on them, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm sitting with them, and, and we're talking, and one of them said that they were struggling with this anxiety and this fear, and it's been, and I knew this, it had been something that they had been struggling with for a long time, and, and, and so I kind of heard it, you know, and if you're not careful, you'll get kind of complacent to it, and I kind of heard it, and the Holy Spirit said, start asking some questions. I said, okay, I said, so, I said time out, I said, so so when did that start? When did the, because I don't, I don't believe you were always that way, right? No. 
When did it start? About five years ago. Tell me what happened. Do you remember when it happened? Yeah, I remember when it happened. Tell me about that. There was a person. Tell me about that person. And I'm just asking questions. The Holy Spirit said ask questions. He didn't say to do anything else, so I'm asking questions. And I'm looking them in the eye. And they're telling me when something changed in their life. From that day forward, for four or five years, they've had fear and anxiety like a plague in their life. It hinders them. It holds them back. It keeps them from living in the fullness of God. They're oppressed. So I asked questions, and they kept telling me answers. And all the whole time, the Holy Spirit's putting the puzzle together. And then the Holy Spirit said, it's demonic. You need to pray for them. He said, to pray. So I said, can I pray for you? And they said, yeah, you can pray for me. So I went and sat next to him, and I said, can I put my hand on you? Can I lay hands on you? Yeah, you can lay hands on me. And the Holy Spirit said, pray in tongues. So I said, okay, can I, do you mind if I pray in tongues over you? And they were like, yeah, go ahead. And I said, okay. So I started praying in tongues over them. Now, it's, it's, if you've never done that before, it's kind of weird. Can I just be honest? Because you can't understand it. But, but you need to know what's happening in the moment. What's happening in the moment, as you're praying in tongues, the Holy Spirit's edifying you, but he's also speaking to you in that moment. He's showing you the pieces to the puzzle for that person's deliverance. He's giving you the next steps on praying in tongues over this person. And you can just start to feel things, just tension begin to grow. And it's just like, uh-oh, we in a fight. Oh, my goodness. And it's calm. Lisa might have been in the next room, didn't even know what was going on. And I'm praying in tongues, and the Holy Spirit says, say this. And I said that. Then he said, say this. Then I said that. Then he said, speak to this. And I rebuked that. And I said, is this what it is? And they said, yes. I said, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And when I did that, the bottom fell out. Tears came falling. It's another sign. Tears fell. But that peace I was telling you about, peace came rushing in. Watch this. Then the Holy Spirit said, Tell her to pray in, in, in tongues. I'm like, so this is what's going on in my head. Like, does she even pray in tongues? <laughs> he said, well, ask her. I'm like, okay. Do you pray in tongues? Yeah. How, how long has it, ask her how long it's been. How long has it been? It's been a couple of years. I said, uh-huh. You want to know when you're oppressed? When you can't pray in the spirit. When's the last time you prayed in the spirit? Has it been a minute? Has it been a year? How long has it been? How long are you going to allow it to be? I said, the Lord would say, the Lord said to start praying in tongues. And they started praying in tongues. And I just felt layers and layers and layers of stuff falling off. I felt freedom coming. And I prayed with them. And I'm like, come on. Praise Jesus. I felt it. I'm, I'm, I'm not into feelings, but I'm telling you, I felt it. The presence of God was in the room. That person was delivered. That demonic presence in their life was stood against and ran out. And that person from that moment was free. When we stopped praying, I said, look at me. Total facelift, but no plastic. Total countenance change. No makeup. Life in the eyes. Not darkness in the eyes. Glow to the face. Not darkness in the face. I said, tell me how you feel. Whew. I feel light. I 
steps. <laughs> it's better than losing weight, isn't it? <laughs> I got an issue. Sometimes I cut up. I don't know if it's a nervous thing or not, but I said, tell me what you feel. I feel peace. Do you feel the anxiety anymore? No. Do you feel the fear anymore? No. Okay, and here's your warning. The enemy's going to come back around with seven of his brothers. And they're going to try to possess your land again. Stand against them. And don't quit praying in tongues. Now let's finish our meeting. That's it. In a nutshell, that's it. it, it there's different varieties, different ranges, different things. Don't freak out. If, if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you're a spirit-filled believer, you got everything you need. You don't even need a lesson. Paul didn't have a lesson in deliverance. Come on. You'll never know how strong you are as a spirit-filled believer until you stand against the enemy that's tormenting you. <clears throat> Did that help? So expect resistance, stay filled, fight with confidence. Number four, <clears throat> finish the mission. Finish the mission that you were sent to accomplish. Finish the mission. <sighs> you see, Paul's mission wasn't just dealing with the demonic alimas. Paul's mission was getting the governor saved. Because you see, when the governor gets saved, he's got great influence. As the leadership goes, so goes the rest of the body. Come on, somebody. The governor needed to be saved. That was the special mission Paul and Barnabas was sent on, to go and save the governor. In fact, the governor invited it in. He said, would you come and teach me the word of God? Elimus was standing against him to try to prevent him from, from believing. When you understand why the enemy is standing against you, you'll start to understand what God's about to accomplish. Come on. If you're facing financial resistance, you need to understand that God's getting ready to give you some breakthrough financially. If it's a financial demon, then it's probably a financial breakthrough. If it's an emotional thing, then it's probably an emotional breakthrough. If it's a physical thing, then it's probably going to be a physical breakthrough. Come on, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. You need to be aware of it. You need to stand against it, and then you need to finish the mission. Listen to verse 12. It says, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. So the governor saw something. He saw something in Paul, and he saw something in Elimus. I'm telling you, as a spirit-filled believer, you need, to, you need to walk the right way. You need to stand the right way because people are either seeing Jesus in you or they're not seeing Jesus at all. When, when the governor saw Paul, he saw the power of heaven inside of him. He did not see weakness. He did not see timidity. He did not see cowardness. He saw boldness. He saw courage. Come on, somebody. He saw conviction. He saw a willingness to stand for what he believed. When he saw Paul, he saw heaven. And when he saw Elimus, though he had never seen it before this moment, Elimus was his attendant. 
He'd never seen this before. Watch this. This is powerful. When he saw Limus in this moment, he saw the weakness of sin. He saw the schemes of the enemy over his life. Do you know what a scheme looks like? Do you recognize schemes? You should be able to walk into a situation and go, that's just a scheme of the enemy. Like you go up to your partner, like, like bro, what you stressing out about? <laughs> bro, t- chill out. It's just a scheme. I seen it when I walked in. Let me help you with that. Let's go. By the way, that's a scheme. Next time it comes, just psh. Come on, say that with me. Say psh. <laughs> that was weak. Say, say, say it a little more. Spit on your neighbor. Come on, somebody. Psh. COVID's gone. Psh. He saw weakness and sin. He saw the schemes of the enemy. He saw the trouble that this kind of influence has on somebody. And in that moment, he saw heaven conquer hell. My God in heaven, people need to see heaven conquer hell. They don't need to see Christians getting involved with hell. They need to see heaven conquering hell. The world's looking for something that's real and legit. Stop being fake. Stop pretending and let heaven conquer hell. (sighs) I just got a little passionate about that. Sorry. He saw heaven conquer hell. He believed by what he saw. And he also believed by what he heard. Which tells me this. That when Paul dealt with the demon, he moved on to preaching the word. The goal was not the demon. The goal was the word. Even the governor was asking for the word. Paul, God, the Holy Ghost sent Paul with the word. But he faced some resistance in the meantime, so he dealt with the resistance and delivered the word. And when he delivered the word, come on, you got to get this. You got to deliver the word. The mission needs to be accomplished. It needs to be fulfilled. You got to deliver the word because when the governor gets saved, the whole area gets saved. He's got the greatest amount of influence. God knows what he's doing. If he tells you to go save that person, if he tells you to go preach to that person, go preach to that person. He's got a plan for that person. So what if you don't like them? So what if they stole your lawnmower? So what if they threw their clippings in your yard? So what? Give them the word. Maybe they'll start cutting your yard. So write this down. I'm I'm, I'm just about done. The enemy cannot stop you. If you don't let him. And then go do do dot, dot, dot next to that. Because I'm going to give you one more thing to say. The enemy can't stop you unless you let him. Dot, dot, dot. Quit letting him. Quit letting him. The only limitation on your life is the limitations found in heaven.
mission must be completed. Come on, Jan. Watch this. If the, if the Holy Ghost sends you, then he is surely with you the whole way. He wants to go. Like he wants to be with you. He's not going to let you go by himself because he likes to be there too. He likes you. He loves you. He wants to fight side by side with you. He wants to empower you. He wants to go with you. He don't like it when you think you're alone and you're not because then you're believing that he's not there when he's there. He likes to be with you. If he sends you, then he's going with you. So no need to be afraid because if he sends you, he goes with you. Notice that it said before Paul ever dealt with the demon. Notice what it says. Verse 9, it says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in her eye. Before he ever dealt with the demon, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with him. Close your eyes. Stand up here with me. Just kind of spread out. We're going to see what the Lord wants to do this morning. You can partner up if you want to, or you can Holy Ghost, come and fill this place. Come and fill this moment. I invite you in, Holy Spirit, into this moment. If you've been struggling to pray in the natural or even in the spirit, I want you to stand up and come down here and ask for prayer. If you've been struggling, if you've been facing some resistance, if it's been some time, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Nothing to be ashamed of. Get up out of your seat. Come forward. Let these folks pray for you. That's you. Get out of your seat right now. 
it's been a struggle and you can't even pray. It's been easier to complain than to pray. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. You got your prayer language, but you haven't been using it. Get up and come let some of these folks pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Break these chains. Break these chains. Break this oppression. Break it in the name of Jesus. Come on, Holy Ghost. You've been wrestling. The Lord would say this morning, if you've been compromising, you feel like if you're being honest with yourself, you've kind of been in the neutral ground. And all of a sudden today, you got faced with the reality of God's truth that he does not like the neutral ground and you want to get out. I'm asking you to stand up and come forward this morning and let some of these folks pray for you. When you walk up to them, tell them what you're there to pray for. Tell them what you're there for prayer for. I, I, you just confess and say, I've been in a neutral ground or I haven't been praying or I haven't prayed in the spirit in a long time. Tell them what you need prayer for. They're going to pray for you directly. Come Holy Spirit.
be ashamed of. Make some noise. I'm not hearing nothing. 
Open your mouth. Thank you, Jesus. What's wrong with that? Thank you, Jesus. You need to come out of that weird place. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Come on, you need to get some desperation in your heart. I bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. something inside of you that just really feels like breaking out running right now out of the building. I don't know who that question's for. It's telling me to ask it. That's how you're feeling right now. Then there's something going on inside of you that you need to quit denying. You're uncomfortable. Anxious. even got the free zones. I'm serious. Tell you what, I'm going to let you off light. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you are scared to stand up and walk to the front of a building. I just described how you're feeling with those questions. Anxious, nervous, feeling like running out, feeling really uncomfortable, feeling out of 
place. If that's you, just lift your hand real quick. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you and I see you. Anybody else feeling that way right now? It's okay. It's okay to feel that way. I just come to you, saw those hands. God, you saw those people, your children. You know their condition. You know what's going on inside of them right now. In fact, Lord, you know that the thing, you know the spirit that's oppressing them. You know what's causing the anxiety. You know what's causing the uncomfortable feeling. You know what's causing them to feel like running away. I speak to that thing right now by the authority of Jesus and I command it to die right now in Jesus' name. Spirit, die in Jesus' name. I cast you off. Loose your hands. Loose your grip on them. I declare freedom over them, over every one of them. Freedom in this moment. I call down the peace of God to invade their, their lives right now in this moment and I just speak deliverance over you are delivered in the name of Jesus. Say that with me. Say, I'm delivered. I'm delivered in the name of Jesus. I receive my deliverance. I receive this breaking in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Say this with me. Say, thank you, Jesus, for breaking it off of me, for delivering me. And thank you that I'm not afraid anymore. Now fill me fresh and new. In Jesus' name.